Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for that special music. Just beautiful, difficult song to sing. I have trouble singing as it is, no matter what it is. And uh, that was beautiful. Thank you, Pastor, for that children's story. What'd you think of that, kids? I had no idea it was the cuckoo bird that did those things. Although sometimes I don't know any more than what a cuckoo bird knows, so that's all right. I'll work past that. Uh, am I on, Dave? Hello? Yep, got it. Okay. Uh, well, as usually happens, I had a sermon prepared today. I had one prepared for months that I would share for the next time I was put on the schedule. And oftentimes the Lord has, a, has me hear a sermon, something I'm watching, maybe something I'm reading, and ooh, i got to jot that down. He starts to form this for me and uh, basically says, here is your sermon. I get excited about that. And he says, now, Gary, take that sermon, tuck it in your back pocket. We're going to do something different this week. <laughs> and those things end up coming to me, um, you know, somewhat last minute, but the Lord always provides. I appreciate, by the way, Pastor, also that children's story. It kind of blended in with the theme of this week and also with the message that the Lord gave regarding selfishness versus selflessness. And the title of today's sermon is Give and Take. Uh, but the sermon I had originally planned um, was closely related to a sermon Paul preached just two weeks ago about end-time events and prophecy that many of us are, are familiar with. And the, t- the events that were bring about deceptions, dangerous deceptions, but also beautiful ones that many of us won't be able to resist, let alone discern, that there are even deceptions to begin with. And the sermon that I thought I was going to preach this week actually was somewhat similar to that, and that it took a look at the ways that the devil would attempt to mimic God's plan. There's actually seven or eight different references I was going to cover, 15 texts or so in the Bible that actually makes clear how the devil plans to do that. And if you remember back, there's so many things in the Bible, texts, stories, that we find that have so many lessons layered over the top, be it person's uh, people's personalities, God's character, the way the devil plans to work. Any one story can have several layers. It just makes it a beautiful book to study. We need to have our noses in the pages of the Bible. But uh, I was going to cover those things, and so I started to think, this is how the Lord kind of modified my, my thought on the message today, was perhaps it was too close to the sermon Paul just preached two weeks ago on prophecy and those types of things, or it could have been a good fit. However, the impressions I got this coming week uh, the Lord gave me some events that took place. Um, some of them you might believe are, are, you might wonder where I'm going, they're kind of patchy here and there, but we ultimately will get to uh, the theme of today's lesson, which again is selfishness versus selflessness, experiencing loss and sacrifice. But uh, I wanted to touch on the, the first thing that uh, he had given me. If you want to turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 13. We were just talking about prophecy, and I, I just wanted to, I, I just couldn't pass up the things that he gave me that, that happened just recently, and they're, they're fresh enough, I just couldn't let them pass. Revelation chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verse 3. Revelation 13, verse 3. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. And here it is. The whole world was astonished, and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? Some translations I like better, and it might have read in your Bibles, that the world will wonder 
or marvel after the beast. How many of you know just this past Thursday what the Pope did? Anybody see in the headlines? A couple of your hands went up. Uh, the Pope on Thursday, I believe it was, they call it Holy, Holy Thursday, uh, washed the feet of 12 prisoners. People who are prisoners serving time, just like go to Oshkosh or any prison around here, serving time in prison. And he'd come by and washed 12 people's feet and an infant of one of theirs. So if you wonder, is it going to happen in the next few years where you're going to fall out of bed in the morning and be like, ah, kind of stretch and look around, get ready for your day, and I'm going to wander after the beast today. <laughs> it's probably not going to happen like that. There's going to be things that happen that cause people to just be marveled by this power, by this man. And certainly the things that he did on Thursday are what Jesus did, are they not? Prisoners. We do that here for our ordinance of humility for communion once a quarter with others that we know, friends, family. Sometimes we choose somebody we don't know, which is a beautiful and humbling experience. But the Pope had done this. And it mentions in Revelation about the how these things will be done, these wonders will be worked in the view of, of all men, in the view of all, the whole world. But um, it's, it's just uh, it's a powerful thing what he's doing. And uh, he's definitely making it very visible. It's a time where, where media is big. And I want you to, uh, I just want to touch base on that, based on the, the sermon Paul had preached two weeks ago, and we were talking about prophecy, about how it's being fulfilled at this time. Again, what he, what he did was, was beautiful, and those are the very things that are going to win people's hearts over. But we must listen carefully and compare to what the Word of God says and understand where the deception begins and where, where it ends. Uh, last week we had in our lesson study, um, Women and wine. So we remember that quarterly, women and wine. And we talked about some things, unhealthy versus healthy choices. And in the week leading up to that lesson, I was in earshot of a conversation of a couple ladies who had a discussion that started kind of as a joke. People that maybe that you work with, whatever, they, they chuckle about having a drink after their day because they had such a rough day, whatever. And, and they engage, engage in conversation about the things they like and, and their habits. And you ever notice, first of all, that anytime you talk to somebody, this is actually all of us, but especially with drinking, people get to talking about it. And then... It's almost like a feeling comes over them, and they're like, but I don't really do that often. You talk to anyone that tells you they don't drink. I remember a discussion with the gal I had, and she said, um, oh, they're crazy. I, I mean, I don't drink. I mean, there's bowling on Tuesday, and aside from you know, Dart League on Thursday, we have a couple. And then, you know, friends come over on the weekends, but aside from that, I, you know, I, <laughs> by the end of it all, we don't do anything bad ever in our, in our eyes. For me, that's junk food. You know, I like to think of myself as a healthy person, and I say I like to think of because I look at what people bring into work, especially around holidays, the candy and the donuts, which are my weak spot, by the way. And if I were to keep an eating journal, which all of us are afraid to do, including me, I eat junk food every day of the week. I'm a healthy guy, right? <laughs> In my mind, I don't eat junk food. However, that stuff happens gradually. But to get out a discussion about a woman, and... Uh, who started having an re allergic reaction. She, she, she enjoyed her wine, and she started cutting different things out of her diet. She drank wine frequently, and they're, and they're talking about this, and she couldn't figure out what it was. So she cut out, you know, nuts, grains, different cereals, foods she enjoyed, meats, you name it. She said, it, it can't be the wine. There's no way. You know how she tested it? She started to binge on grapes. 
She ate grapes like crazy, and the inflammation didn't get any worse. She goes, well, it can't be the wine. <laughs> Instead of testing the wine itself, she tried eating an abundance of grapes, since that's where wine comes from, after all. Eventually, she went to the doctor, giving in, and he told her, it's the wine. <laughs> and uh, I just, just based on last week's lesson, I couldn't help but to share that, how far we will run, how far we will, how deep we will go into denial denying the, the people that we are, the things that we do, and the things that are bad for us. It's like we talk about the commandments. You know, everybody agrees they, they wouldn't love to be, they, they wouldn't enjoy being stolen from or killed or, or have their spouses taken from them. All these things we agree with, you come down to the Sabbath where it comes to our personal habits and our personal time and we start getting a little squirmish. Let's talk about loss. Loss of people, loss of things. Sacrifice. Last week, there's another event, happened last week. My brother had his bike stolen. Stolen right out of his garage. Four, five, six hundred dollar bike gone. Now kids, how would you feel if your bike was stolen? Somebody came into your garage that your parents have all set up nice for you with your, with your toys, your big wheels, your bikes, and somebody walked in there during the day or during the night and stole your bike. But that happened last week. Walked in, lowered it down, and pedaled it right out of the neighborhood. Yesterday at work was a very strange and different day. Again, another event that was given this past week. Yesterday was the end of our fiscal quarter. And ironically, at the beginning of the day, we had all the things that we needed to ship out the door to make revenue for the quarter, which rarely happens at the beginning of a Friday. We're usually still chasing down to the last minute and uh, scurrying around for that last dime. But things started to wind down. And there are also a lot of people off for, for Easter and such. Good Friday, some people celebrate. It started to get kind of calm and quiet. There's a man who works down in our packaging department um, near the end of our building. And uh, he'd worked there for years. And uh, about a year ago, he had a heart attack, um, like a heart condition. That put him out of work for quite some time, and he was really bent out of shape on that. He was very hard on himself, and he was always worried about missing work and letting his team down. He was extremely dedicated. And this past week, week and a half, he had been ill again for several days. Um, prior to that, he had leaned over in a box. Again, he was in the packaging area. He leaned over in a box, and he had pulled something in his back. This is just about six, seven months ago. And he was kind of frozen there, and so we had to get him and sit him down, call an ambulance in, and they, they hauled him away. He was out some more time for that. And he was sitting there in the chair the whole time while I was waiting for the ambulance to come saying, oh, I, I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to miss too much work and get fired. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't want to let you guys down. And he just, and even while he was at work, he's a good guy. had quite a character, kept people laughing. And he was, uh, he was just all bent out of shape about this. And so this last week, he, had, he was out again several days, like I mentioned just a minute ago, for an illness that he had. And I can picture what he was going through. As he said, at home, wondering when he was going to return to work, if, if he'd be allowed to or if he'd have a job. And yesterday, just along with how things felt and the calmness of it all, the team got word that this man had taken his life. And you could see the loss in everyone's face in that area. You walked from one end of the building to the other. You start in the front half, things are kind of, kind of busy. People are, you know, kind of feeling good. They're in for a, a long weekend, some of them. And as you walk down closer and closer to those who work closer to this man, you could see the flushed out look in their face. They all got up in the morning and prepared the same way they always would for work 
all did the same thing, but their look had transformed to a paleness, an exhaustion, loss. Turn with me to the book of Job. Let's go to Job chapter 1. Some of you familiar with the story of Job already have an idea. of how this relates to loss. How we respond to loss makes every bit of difference. Job chapter 1, verse 2. So I want to read quickly what kind of man Job was. In the land of, how do you pronounce that? Uz? Uz? It's U-Z anyway. There lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. What kind of guy was he? Pretty good? Blameless and upright. Very few of us, I think, could be called that. I know I couldn't be called blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. So these aren't things that are happening to a bad guy or someone who we would think deserves it. We like to throw that word around. We think we know what people deserve and what they don't deserve. But he had ten kids, seven sons, three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and by a non-farming understanding, I think a yoke is typically a pair of ox, oxen, so that's a thousand ox, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of ser- servants. Now, it's strange, they, they, they number out the animals, and he had a large number of servants. I don't know if he had more servants than he did animals, but he had over 11,000 animals. I don't know, how many of you ever had 11,000 of anything? <laughs> Not me let alone ten children. Seven sons, three daughters. Job, would you say, had a lot to lose? Yes. You go to verse 14. A messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. The Sabians attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he's in the middle of his sentence, another person interrupts, Another messenger comes and says, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants. And I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. He gets interrupted. And he loses some more. His camels. Gone. And more servants put to the sword. So his spirit's shaking. Has been shaken. Already. And then, just as that person is speaking, he gets the worst. Your sons and daughters, down in verse 18, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. He already knows what's coming, I'm sure, before the guy even finishes the sentence. It collapsed on them and they are dead. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. What was Job's response? We find it in verse 20. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground and worshipped. He fell to the ground and worshipped. How many of us do that when we experience hardship? Praise God for who he is and what he does for us. Naked I came from my brother's womb, my mother's womb, I'm sorry, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. He goes on to say, may the name of the Lord be praised. If that wasn't enough, 
In chapter 2, verse 7, Job's afflicted with painful boils and sores, head to toe. So Job lost all these things, everything. He lost his family. And how did he respond? He fell and worshipped the Lord. And now he's lost his well-being, his health. And then he loses one more thing. Chapter 2, verse 9. His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. He lost the support of his wife. Job's three friends are described in the verses that follow. Those seem like three pretty good guys. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes, met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. Friends, I hope we treat one another like these guys treated Job. When they saw him from a distance... They could hardly recognize them. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. And out of that, Job cursed the day he was born. He was upset and distraught. But he didn't turn on God. His response was through the eyes of God, through the heart of Jesus. What a difference that makes. In fact, in the, near the end of the book, in ch- chapter 42, verse 5, he said, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. How about Jesus? He gave up time in heaven to be here. Just for us. I never thought of it this way. But perhaps heaven experienced loss. When Jesus had to disappear from there. Into his human form. To watch him get up each morning sore. Tired living life with us on this earth in pain, exhaustion, being mocked and ridiculed, persecuted, and ultimately crucified for wrongdoing. Wrongdoing? Matthew chapter 27, verse 27. I want you to go there with me, please. Matthew 27, 27. I want you to read this and soak this in. Matthew chapter 27, verse 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. I'm sure they didn't just lightly set that there. They put a staff in his hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail the king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him. They took the staff back out of his hand and beat him in the head with it. Again and again, it says. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe, put his own clothes back on, and they led him out to crucify him. He owned this place. 
He owned this whole place and the whole universe that it floats in. Yet he allowed us to not only pronounce him a guilty man, but spit on him, beat him repeatedly, and drive nails through his body. You didn't have to come and suffer all that. We put ourselves in our own boat. And his response? Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Verse 40 to 43, he ministers to a thief while he was on the cross. Jesus hanging on the cross, still carrying on his ministry. And in verse 46, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Selfish or selfless? Job and Jesus and their responses to self-denial and loss are very different from the responses that we would perhaps give. And I was originally going to say the responses we would give today. But people were much the same back then. After all, his wife told him, look, bother with this. Curse God and die. Just be done with it. Give it up. We advise others not to put up with that treatment. Put them in their place. Administer justice. After all, you deserve to for what you had to go through. Does the difference in responses make a difference? Yeah. Big difference. Imagine if the outcome had been different. Job would have lost his salvation, potentially. Cursing God and die. Just turning on him because things went bad all in a minute's time. Sure, it was shocking. He lost a lot. But he knew who his creator was. Consider the magnitude of the suffering and the loss that Jesus endured just to win the chance to save people who don't even want him. Let that soak in for a moment. Talk about him dying to save us all. We read in prophecy that how many people will be deceived, how many people will follow and go down with the dragon. Almost all of them. That all may worship the beast, it says in prophecy. Very few people are going to return to our Jesus. And he knew that. He still went down. Or even Job's response, dialing it down a little bit as far in terms of loss and sacrifice. Job's response to all that he lost. He blessed the Lord's name. We dial it way, 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 way back down to the loss of a bicycle. As small as that seems now, I'm thankful to God that my brother happened to have things in perspective at the time of losing his bike. When we have Jesus in his perspective at heart, it changes our interpretation and our response to the events and the people around us. Well, last Sabbath, my brother Keith and his wife Carissa, they'd planned to meet with several others uh, for worship, as they do most weekends. And between travels and illnesses and whatnot, they weren't able to get, to get together. And so he had replied all to the email and said, um, uh, since we won't be meeting, I'd just like to offer a, offer a thought. And he shared the story of the loss of his bike that Sabbath, or at least that week. 
Having been inspired by the event, I replied to that email. God was working on our hearts. And so I'm going to read our emails that we sent to one another, and then we'll sing our closing song together. So here's what Keith wrote. My, uh, by the way, he has a wife, Chris, and they have a daughter named Kaya, so you know where the names are in the story. My bicycle was stolen from my garage. Today, I think. Maybe yesterday. Or the night before, I'm not sure. My red and white 2008 Trek 3700 would hang by the tires upside down from the hooks in the ceiling. That's where this thing was. It got stolen. Depending on what I was retrieving from the garage, there was a 50-50 chance I would smack my 6-foot-4-inch head on its handlebars. Early this evening, after loading the kids in the backseat of our car to take Chris to a six-week postpartum midwife appointment, something didn't seem quite right. I looked up, and the gray, rubber-coated hooks were empty. There are lots of options for dealing with this sort of thing that may seem acceptable given the circumstances. Number one, report the theft to the police. Two, spend a couple hours visiting some local used bike stores and pawn shops in search of my bike. Some of us have done those things. Three, be angry that someone had the nerve to walk into my garage and nagle the bike off the hooks, something that even I'm not exactly graceful with, and I do it any time I use my bike in the summer to keep space available in our one-car garage. Four, wish for judgment and punishment on the thief. Five, give a crooked eye to all our neighbors with suspicions that it could be any one of them who came walking down our alley and left pedaling off. We all have those tendencies, don't we? It's just so real, and this happened last week. Hope and wait for the day that I see someone riding my bike on the street so I can stop them and harass them about how terrible of a person they are and take back my bike. Or number seven, beat myself up for accidentally leaving the garage door open overnight or lay blame on my wife, Carissa, for possibly having done so during the day. These may all seem fairly reasonable, but of them I'm only interested in number one. Report the theft to the police. Theft is a crime, and I imagine my neighbors would like for crime occurring in our neighborhood to be reported. But beyond that, I just don't see the value in any more time spent lamenting this hunk of metal, rubber, and plastic. I'm privileged not to rely on that bike for my livelihood. I do not depend on it surviving a daily commute to a job that, if I was late to one more time, I might no longer have. It was not my transportation to and from a food pantry because my car broke down, but my kids still needed to eat. I did not use it day after day to hop between parks, searching for the next bench to lay down my head. It was purely for my recreation, and I'm privileged enough to be able to purchase another one. For me, it's a replaceable thing. Maybe for the thief, it means much more. In the car on the way to the midwife appointment, we passed along, we passed the long driveway that leads to a once country club golf course that turned community event center, vegetable gardens, and bike trails. I fantasized out loud about a new full suspension mountain trail bike. On the drive from the birth center to a gas station, a conversation quickly progressed into wondering what kind of first bike we might see we might get for Kaya. We laughed about how silly it would be to give it to her as a gift on her December birthday. At the dinner table, Carissa prayed that whoever now has the bike would be blessed by having it. Before bedtime, Kai and I read from her International Children's Story Bible in which the Lord's Prayer reads, Forgive us for doing wrong things and help us forgive others. I was reminded of, of Jesus' Sermon on the Plain where his radical teachings were quoted. 
But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. When things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful. What? The way of the cross seems foolish. I responded to him and I said, I love Kaya's little prayer. Her parents' other-centered, God-given response to this event has imparted riches untold to their little one. We often paraphrase from Job 121 when we say, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. You ever see one of those donation slips that provides a list of programs that you can choose to give you? That you can choose to give to? All of them tug at your heart. How do you choose which one? But thankfully, there's sometimes a box you can check that says, we're needed most. I believe today that perhaps God checked that box in regards to that bike. We're needed most. What's beautiful is that he needed a bike, and he chose yours because he knew you wouldn't mind, and he was right again. In the process, he's already begun to prepare your daughter's heart to be more like his. He gave you a message to share with others, and he opened the door for you to pray for something new, which he can't wait to show you. Thanks for sharing this. Happy Sabbath. Heavenly Father, we want to be more like Jesus in our hearts. May we ask each day, each hour, for the Holy Spirit to baptize our hearts so we may be humbled and be open to your wisdom and truth. May we look at others. May we look at the things that happen in our lives through the eyes of Jesus. May we look at it in perspective of the big picture and how difficult our lives really are. Let us think of the sacrifice. Let us remember, Father, the loss that heaven experienced, the suffering and pain that Jesus felt and did it willingly just for a chance to save what he knew would be just a few of us. Be with us now, Father, as we fellowship together. We ask that you put your blessing upon the food that we're about to eat this afternoon. And be with us this coming week. We need your protection, not only in terms of safety from harm and injury. We need you to protect us from ourselves, protect us from the words that we're about to say, things we're about to think, and the ways we're about to react. Help our response to be more like Jesus. Pray these things in your name. Thank you for your sacrifices and all that you bless us with. Amen.